Hello, this is Lafayette Faust, creator of the Nevermore Hollows podcast. Thank you for making the show a success. Please take a moment to subscribe, give five stars, comment, and share the show with your friends. It's the best way to help us grow and to be able to continue to provide quality horror content. Also, please support our new art director, Chris Madman Goins, at Black Sheep Studios TN on Instagram. He has some amazing Nevermore Hollows art for sale, signed by the both of us, as well as many other original pieces I think you're going to love. Now, for you horror hounds who like to have a good laugh, I invite you to check out my other podcast. It's called The Three Uncool Cats. In it, my two friends and I sit in a basement and discuss music, movies, and whatever else comes into our warped minds. I would really appreciate it if you would give it a listen. Now, with that out of the way, I invite you to sit back, turn on a light, and prepare yourself. Jack Toombs was a vessel for the damned. This was because of what happened to him on the night of his 13th birthday, the night his mother died. Her name had been Marianne, and she had looked exactly how you'd think a Marianne would look, with cute brown hair, innocent eyes, gleaming smile, and a sunny worldview. She had taught him that the world was created with a very precious light and that this light was inside all living beings. Jack hated the light, and he hated his mother, and he'd watched that light fade from her eyes as he choked her to death on the night he sold his soul to the devil. He had always been a strange child with vicious desires, but he didn't dare allow himself to give in to his twisted urges, no matter how exquisite the joy would have been. He simply did not know how to go about living the life of murderous freedom he desired. So his true nature remained heavily chained deep inside himself. However, one spring afternoon when he was twelve, he came across a book on the occult in the Nevermore Library, written by one of the evilest men to have ever walked the earth, and he realized that it held the key with which he could unlock the chains and set his monster free. The man who had written the book called himself The Beast, and he had lived his own life with one rule. Do what thou wilt. This profane book led Jack to other books with even darker ideas. He began using a Ouija board to speak with the dead, but this was still not enough for him because he wanted to do more than speak with restless spirits. 
He wanted to summon demons. Ultimately, he found an arcane ritual in an ancient spell book that told him how. So, two months before his 13th birthday, he killed the neighbor's cat inside a pentagram he had drawn on the floor of his bedroom. And that had been the missing element. The demon had told him diabolical secrets, pulling Jack deeper into the abyss. Over the next two months, he sacrificed more small animals and had learned that to gain true power, he needed to give himself completely over to evil, to rid himself of anything that had been touched by the light his mother so loved to ramble on about. So, on the night of his 13th birthday, he murdered his mother, then set off to find a crossroads with the intent of selling his soul to the devil. Just before midnight, he found himself deep in the countryside at the intersection of Savini Road and Route 33. There were cornfields on his left and a tree-lined marsh on his right. A gibbous moon oozed a corpse glow onto the landscape that only deepened the shadows. He used a pocket knife to slice his hand and let the blood drip down on the exact center of the crossroads. I'm here and ready to give myself to the devil, he said aloud. A cold breeze sprang up and rustled through the withered corn stalks, sounding like the ragged sigh of a reanimated corpse. A low, guttural growl came from his right. Jack turned his gaze to the marsh just as a massive black dog crept through the cord grass lining the road. The beast was bigger than any dog Jack had ever seen. It was the size of a bull, and its fur was so dark that it seemed to devour the silvery moonlight like a bull-sized black hole. The dog stormed across the road directly toward Jack, who did not flinch, and slid to a stop an inch away. Its colossal snout pointed down at Jack's face. Its breath smelled of sulfur. The dog seemed surprised that Jack stood his ground. Then it spoke, its voice deep as the pit. What? Jack held up a bleeding hand. I want to make a deal. The dog gave a low, menacing growl. Mm. Its hot breath washed over Jack. You stink of rot. To my very core, Jack said, and I embrace it. The dog gave a derisive snort. Huh. But you are weak. Jack used the hand he had cut, which was covered in his own blood, and smacked the big black beast's snout. He then spat directly between its eyes. The dog's eyes burned red with hate. It reared its head up to the corpse moon, opened its enormous maw, and gave a deep, hellish howl that devolved into a maniacal laugh. <laughs> 
Jack thought this was what a hyena possessed by a thousand demons would sound like. And he smiled. The laugh trailed off into a grumble deep within the dog's chest. So, what is it that you want, boy? I want to be a god, Jack replied, staring directly into the dog's crimson eyes. I want to do whatever I want, whenever I want. Mm. Give me specifics. I want to experience the black joy of doing every wicked deed imaginable, Jack said. I want to cause pain, suffering, murder. No matter how vile the act, no matter how high the body count, I don't ever want to get caught or be subject to earthly punishment. The dog laughed his breath billowing sulfur. Ha <laughs> ha! So, what is in it for me? Jack was young, but not naive. He knew the devil's price. My soul, he said. I give that freely. Souls are cheap. I make more deals now than ever before. Why would I want yours? Jack had been prepared for this question. Demons find it difficult to maintain possession of a human due to the fact that the host is unwilling, correct? The dog seemed wary of the question. After a moment to consider, it said, Correct. I am willing to share my body, my vessel, with any demon or malevolent spirit that is willing to possess me, Jack said. Well, isn't that a bold offer? We get your soul. We get to use you as a willing vessel. Most mortals only want fame and fortune. Why are you willing to do this? Jack gave a perverse smile. As they use my body... I will get to experience their dark joy and twisted thrill. And with them, I will create a symphony of destruction. The black dog had granted Jack his wish. And in the six years since he had made the deal, Jack had experienced the macabre and the ghastly like no other man who had ever lived. He had maimed children spoiled innocence, murdered loving mothers and fathers, and used every form of torture to break the minds and spirits of dozens of people. Every neighborhood, every town that he entered, he was followed by a black parade of the wicked and the damned that poured out of his body. Tonight, he would lead his black parade down the center of Main Street and Nevermore Hollows, and broken bodies would lie writhing in its wake. Jack stood at the east end of Main Street, just under a red traffic light. As the light pulsed, he was alternately cast in a crimson glow, 
then shrouded in black shadow, crimson, black, crimson, and black, and crimson. After a moment of savoring the wicked joy to come, he took a peculiar pose with his feet together, his arms outstretched, one hand up, the other down, fingers splayed and his head down. He opened himself up, releasing the sixty demons that currently inhabited his body. They exited his body in a writhing cloud, then coalesced into being, groaning with anticipation for the chaos to come. Then Jack raised his head and opened his eyes. They glowed a hellish red. Main Street was full of people. Lovers strolled hand in hand under the antique street lamps and festive lights strung across the street. Children giggled as parents window-shopped. Teenagers laughed and chided each other as they made their way to their favorite hangouts. Jack took in all this love and happiness and hope and smirked. Then he began to dance. It was the dance macabre, driven by demonic hate, and which caused madness for anyone unfortunate enough to bear witness. His arms jerked about his head and torso like spasming serpents. His shoulders wrenched in their sockets. His knees bent at unnatural angles, causing him to lurch and to shamble. He danced in place like this for a ghoulish moment. Then, while still in the throes of the dance macabre, he led his black parade down the middle of Main Street. The demons loped and crawled and slithered behind him, alternately lit in green or red or yellow as they passed under the festive lights, and everyone who happened to look at them was overcome with mindless hysteria. They clawed their eyes, pulled out their hair, gnawed on their tongues. Jack and his demons paraded past Pennywise Ice Cream Parlor, and the young couple who were sitting at one of the tables on the sidewalk eating ice cream suddenly dropped their spoons and began tearing at each other's throats. Brandon Pike stepped out of Crossroads Guitar Store, carrying a bag full of strings for the Fender Telecaster he had inherited from his recently deceased grandfather. When he saw Jack writhing down the center of the street, Followed by the parade of demons, he dropped his bag and fell to his knees onto the sidewalk. Foam curdled in the corners of his mouth, and he began chewing on his fingers. Others began to see their fellow townsfolk become possessed with these fits, and they ran to help, offering whatever first aid they knew how to administer. Curiously, not everyone milling around Main Street of Nevermore on this beautiful fall night saw Jack Toombs or his parade of demons as they made their way down the center of town. When later questioned by the police, they would simply say that as they were enjoying the evening, some of the townsfolk began acting as if possessed. When Jack reached the other end of Main Street, 
he stopped his dance. He stood, feet together, head tilted back, eyes closed, and his arms stretched out wide. He took a long, deep breath, held it, savoring the screams and moans of the afflicted and the concerned jails of those who tried to help. Then he pirouetted around to face back down the street and took in the chaos he had created. Forty people, consisting of men and women and children, were writhing on the sidewalks and in the street as if in demonic agony. Jack smiled. The demons that had marched behind him down Main Street dematerialized and coalesced into a thick, murky cloud. It writhed around him, obscuring him for a moment, then seeped into his body. Jack caught movement and glanced to his right to see two young boys who had just walked out of Romero's comics and games. The boys stood wide-eyed, mouths open, taking in the unnatural movements of the inflicted people and the chaos as the unafflicted tried to help. After a moment, one of the boys, a red-haired and freckled kid named Stevie Muse, noticed Jack looking at him and his friend. Rory, look, Stevie said, tugging on his friend's shirt. Rory Boudreau was twelve, the same age as Stevie, and they were as close as brothers. They had survived more than one attack from the paranormal beings that haunted Nevermore Hollows. Rory pulled his attention from the chaos in the street. Together they looked at Jack, who stood straight, shoulders arrogantly back, looking down on them as if assessing if they were worthy of his attention. Suddenly, Jack gave a low, arrogant bow, which he finished off with a flourish of a flicked wrist. He straightened and snapped his fingers and disappeared in a crimson spark that smelled of sulfur, leaving the boys to stand in wonder at what they had just witnessed. As soon as Jack disappeared, so did the supernatural afflictions of the townsfolk. They were dazed, disoriented, and were trying to understand what had happened. Some were lucky enough to have only minor scrapes and bruises, while others suffered severe, life-altering injuries. Dorothy McCann had clawed her eyes so terribly that she was now blind. Marcus Spring had bitten off his tongue. While Brandon Pike would never play his granddad's telecaster ever again because he had chewed off his fingers. What did we just done and see? Rory asked in his Cajun patois. He was originally from New Orleans. He had moved to Nevermore with his mother earlier in the year after his daddy was killed by a voodoo hag who lived in a swamp. Sirens rang out as first responders arrived at the chaotic scene. They jumped into action. The deputies secured the scene while the paramedics and fire personnel began triaging and administering first aid to the afflicted. Stevie shrugged. 
Looks like another monster has come to town, he said, remembering the time that a demon-possessed monkey had threatened to murder them and drag their souls to hell. Man, this town sure is messed up. Before Rory could reply, Sheriff Mosley strode up to them. He was a man of average height, but exuded the battle-tested confidence of a warrior. He wore jeans, a Stetson, and cowboy boots. He was followed by Alyssa Hart, a woman of 50 who served as the town's coroner and medical examiner. They knew the boys well and understood that though they were only 12 years old, they had often been targeted by the evil beasts that lurked beyond the shadows, likely because of their wonder and their innocence. Mosley and Alyssa knew that because of their battles with evil, they had developed an eye for detail. Elissa set about examining them to ensure that they hadn't been hurt. Mosley placed a hand on Stevie's shoulder. You boys okay? They look physically okay, Elissa said. How do you feel? She asked this not because she doubted their ability to process what they'd seen. Not long ago, Professor Grieve, a twisted man who had carved his own face to look like a jack-o'-lantern, had abducted these boys, taken them to a cemetery, and attempted to kill them in a mausoleum. The boys had escaped, and the very next day were riding their bikes around town looking for more adventure. They had a way of processing that she wished she could tap into. She had asked this question because on occasion townsfolk would become possessed by evil spirits, and she wanted to rule out this terrible possibility. Rory shot Stevie a glance. I'll be all right. How about you? Stevie seemed to consider the question a bit before answering, as if searching inside himself for unwanted habitation. I'm okay. Then he looked up at Alyssa. Yeah, no spooks inside me. Mosley nodded. We need to know what we're dealing with here. Tell me what you boys saw. Stevie and Rory gave Mosley and Alyssa as much detail as they could, down to the fact that the young man had red eyes and seemed extremely arrogant and was followed by demons. Anything else? Alyssa asked. She had been taking notes as the boys spoke. Yeah, Rory said. He done marched down the street like he was being the Grand Marshal of the Mardi Gras, and he had all them demons marching behind him. He was arrogant. And you saw the same thing? Mosley asked Stevie. Yes, sir, Stevie replied. It was, it was crazy scary. Alyssa wrote all this down on a notepad. She would later add these to the database she was creating on the evil things that they had countered. This town, she said, shaking her head. There's so much darkness. We've had serial killers, cannibal witches, demon-possessed pigs, and now this? Mosley glanced back down the street at the chaos. It was coming under control due to the fine work of the first responders, but still, lives have been changed forever. Later, after everyone had been interviewed, 
it would be found that only a few saw the young man dancing down the street as if he were demented. None would recall seeing demons. Mosley and Alyssa had a suspicion that the boys could see what the others did not because they had been blessed with a special ability to do so, though they couldn't quite explain how or why. This is definitely new, Mosley said. Different from what we've seen in the past, so the question is, what is it? Elissa shrugged. We just don't have enough to go on at the moment, but my gut tells me we will see this guy again. What do you boys think? Rory and Stevie looked at each other. They'd been through so much together that a quick glance conveyed as much information as a spoken idea. Stevie nodded as if in agreement. Rory turned to Alyssa and Mosley and said, It seemed to us that it'd just be another Friday night and never more hollows. Mosley couldn't help but give an appreciative grin. While Rory didn't have the specific answer, he did get to the heart of the problem, which was that the paranormal and the bizarre were, in fact, the norm for this haunted little town.